0: Um, it's a word that evokes different responses. For myself, I have very, very fond memories of family reunions um, on my fa- grandfather's farm and I regretted when we ceased to gather. but not all family reunions are delightful. Um, some family reunions are filled with difficulties. I remember Paul Tripp talking about when he was young, he and his brother Ted that they would go to a family reunion and his mother would... Uh, try to get them out of there quick enough before the uncles started drinking and their language turned rather dark. Family reunions aren't always delightful events, as I'm sure uh, some of you know. In many cases, some of us have just returned from something like family reunions. We've had our families together for the holidays, maybe that Thanksgiving or Christmas or maybe both. Family reunions can be awkward at times. Some families gather with other Christians. Some of you gather with very few fellow believers or none at all. These later settings can be quite uncomfortable. We often come with a burden for those that we love who do not know our blessed Lord. We, we, we struggle um, to live out our burden. We, we have a burden for their lost estate and we struggle to how to speak to them, how to share Christ with them and and so often we come home feeling we could have done more, we should have said more, or maybe we feel guilty because we said nothing at all. It is difficult to bear witness to family. Moses has a family reunion in this text. We see it set up. He's going to be reunited with his wife and sons. It's interesting, very little is said about that. But he's going to come face to face with his father-in-law, and let us not miss this, who is a priest of a pagan religion. He is the priest of Midian, a false religion, a heathen people. And there are lessons in the text so we see how Moses handles this reunion, how he focuses on what God has done, the work that God has accomplished, and then we see what the result is. There's a new worshiper of the living God of heaven. Our theme then is to learn from Moses and to go and do likewise. Let us learn these lessons and see how we can apply them in our own families at our next reunion. We're going to use four main headings, Moses' family reunion, Moses bears witness of God's power to save, and then we will look at how Jethro's conversion of faith in the Lord, and then finally worship and fellowship before the Lord. So we begin, and this is about half the section we're looking at: Moses' family reunion. There's there's some data. There's a revisiting of things that we've been told. Uh, we've been we've been focused on Egypt and the plagues and the oppression and the coming out and the difficulties in the wilderness. And now there's this shift, in Moses' family shows up, and so the Scripture recounts some things. Now, one of the things you may have noticed is that the Scriptures do not always report the facts, indeed these are facts, in the exact order that they occurred. We find this often in the Gospels as well as other places. Each of the Gospel writers uh, has a a different focus, and so they order the material according to their focus, particularly doctrinal focus. And we find that's true here, material is organized on a theme. The events before us took place after Israel had come to the mountain of God, which is reported at the end of chapter 19. They're coming there, and yet we find in this chapter um, that they're at the mountain of God. Chapter 17 ends with them still in the wilderness. They're near the mountain of God, but not there. And so Moses puts this here, and there's a contrast. We've just heard the report of, one group of Gentiles, the Amalekites, who are seeking to destroy Israel. They want to wipe them out. And this passage stands in sharp contrast as we see Jethro come, an unbelieving Gentile, and yet something different takes place. There's a sharp contrast also between the unbelief of Israel in chapter 15 Verses 22 all the way up to 17 and verse 7. We've been dealing with that material, the lack of belief that Israel had in their God, his ability to supply, and all the murmuring and complaining. So, this account of the arrival of Jethro does stand out sharply against the backdrop of what happened just before it. The Malachites coming out to war to destroy Israel. What was God's promise? To Abraham, we might first be thinking, well, anybody that does anything to you, I'm going to strike them. But no, there's a positive command, uh, promise. God promised Abraham that the Gentiles, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him and particularly through his seed. And here we see something of that in this one encounter with Jethro. Abraham had Gentile slaves that were circumcised members of his household. They received the sign and the seal of the covenant. This morning in our scripture reading, we're doing the chronological plan. We we saw Abraham's servant, his chief servant, go to find a wife for Isaac. And went back to Abraham's people. And you see that man going, and he has faith. He has faith in the God of Abraham, and it becomes clear that that servant of Abraham, that Abraham's God is his God. And he prays to him. He has faith in him. He waits on him, and he watches God act, and then he worships him. And so you see already these little vignettes of God's blessing Gentile peoples and adding them into the covenant community. That's what we have before us this morning. So Moses tells us that Jethro had heard of the mighty deeds that the Lord had done for Moses and for Israel. Little wonder. Remember, Egypt's the powerful nation, and they have been brought very low. And that word would have been carried everywhere, anyone within a broad region, any uh, you know, down on into African countries and up into the Middle East and maybe even to the southern Europe that as the traders and travelers went they would have carried accounts of what was happening in Egypt of how these plagues had fallen upon this land darkness, water turned to blood and even the death of the firstborn even a Pharaoh's household that word has reached Jethro Jethro has learned that the Lord has delivered his people out of the house of bondage. So Jethro and Moses, they've not seen each other since Moses took lead of leave of his father. You remember that Moses had the encounter with God on the backside of the wilderness, the burning bush, and he has a mission now, and he comes home and he takes leave of his father in law to go down to Egypt. You find that back in chapter four and verse eighteen. So Moses goes to Egypt to lead his people out. Since Jethro has not been mentioned for some time, then what follows here in this opening of the chapter is some events. Moses records some events to, in some sense, bring us up to speed, uh, to remind us. And the first thing he focuses on is that Jethro, his father-in-law, is a priest of Midian. He's an idolater. That's who his father-in-law is. And Moses gives us that detail. Remember, it was the Midianite traders who bought Joseph from his brothers and carried him into Egypt where he became a slave in Potiphar's house. So Jethro does not come to Moses alone. Verse 5 tells us that he came with Moses' wife and their two sons, and once again, Moses records the names of his sons. There's something in this reporting of the names of the sons in verse uh, three and four that reminds us of Moses' background, his history. He fled from Pharaoh, and he comes to Midian, to, I mean, to Jethro's household, and he marries his daughter. She gives he gives her uh, uh, gives Moses Zipporah, and they have a son. and Moses names him Gershom. He said, "I have been a stranger in a foreign land, and so that name is constantly a reminder of that. And then he has another son, Elazar. Thus he says that God of my Father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now that's not the events of the plague and so forth. This is when Pharaoh where when Moses fled out of Egypt after he had killed the man, and the Lord has delivered him. and so we're reminded, by these names are these two sons of Moses' history, his background. Verse 2 tells us that Jethro received his daughter Zipporah back into the house after Moses had sent her back. Now what's not clear is when Moses sent her back. Some commentators take the position that after the controversy over the circumcision, that Moses sent her back at that point. Others have suggested that once he got to Egypt and uh, saw the difficulties and the conflict that he thought it was best to send his wife his sons back to their father. Um, That would have been a tremendous uh, difficult thing to do with some distance to send her home. And and if indeed he did so, he would have had to have someone to some sense be an escort to watch over them and, and take them there. I'm more inclined to think that she went back after the controversy, but the scripture is not clear to us. But what's clear is she went back to her father, and she's been with Jethro, with her sons. Um, Over a year has elapsed. These boys would have grown. They've not seen their father. Verses 5 and 6 then report that Jethro came to Moses, but he sent word on ahead. Uh, no doubt through a third party. Again, um, think about it. Would it have been had fought, would it had been difficult to find Moses and the people of Israel? No. There's this great host that uh, any band of travelers and traders that uh, worked those regions and carried goods, they would have heard of them and maybe even encountered them, maybe stayed and experienced some hospitality with them, that there would have been a, a regular trade. And so Jethro finds someone who says, hey, I'm going on this route. And he says, well, well, you take word and find Moses, my son-in-law, and tell him, I'm coming to you. Seems strange to us, doesn't it? And we just whip out our phones and pop off a text or punch in a few numbers and call someone. It wasn't that way then, but nonetheless, there was a way to get the message. And Jethro got the message to Moses that he was coming to him with his wife and her sons. And it's here then that we learn in these verses that Israel has camped at the mountain of God, or Horeb, or also known as Mount Sinai. It is the mountain where the law will be given. we will almost there, chapter 20. It's near where the Lord had supplied water from the rock. It's also near where Amalek had been defeated. It was a location where God would give Moses the law. And it was here that God first called Moses to the task that is now complete. It was near this place that Moses had an encounter with a bush that burned and yet was not consumed. And God spoke to him out of that bush telling him to take off his sandals for he was on holy ground. And he says, you will come back to this place and worship me. And indeed, it has happened. This is where Moses is at, where the people of Israel and Jethro comes and finds him there. And now the reunion is going to take place; the families coming to be reunited. Now, verse seven tells us that Moses got word. Again, you can imagine in a, a somewhat of a desert, a wilderness area. The travelers could be seen at some distance. Or perhaps there were um, a group of traders who were able to move along more quickly than a a mother traveling with sons. And they've carried the word to Moses that your your wife and your father-in-law, they're near at hand. Somehow Moses gets the word and we're told that Moses went out to meet. What does it say? He went out to meet (laughs) his father-in-law. All you married men. Does that not seem odd to you? (laughs) Would would that be your first inclination to go meet your father-in-law when your wife is in the group? But he goes to his father-in-law, and we're told much in what he does. He bows down, and he kisses him. He greets his father-in-law. He shows respect. The first meeting takes place with Jethro. Why? Why? Because Jethro is an older man. He is an elder to Moses. He's his father-in-law. The fifth commandment has not yet been written on stone, but it's written on the heart that you are to honor your father and your mother. And Moses shows this respect to Jethro, his father-in-law. Moses bows down and he kisses him. All of these are acts of humility. And they're common response in that culture. We don't typically do that. I don't know that any of your children have gotten up in the morning and come downstairs and you encounter your father and you bow down out of respect to him and you kiss him. But that was common in that culture as a reminder of who the greater was and who the lesser was. What follows next was also common in the culture. We see that the first thing they did is they asked about each other's welfare. So they asked each other, this is verse 7, about their well-being, and then they went into the tent. Uh, This asking about the well-meaning was a common exchange in a greeting. Is it well with you? It's well with me. Is it well with you? Yes, it's well with me. It was a common thing. It makes me think of when Elisha sends his servant, when he's heard of the death of the woman's son, And he tells him, you take my rod and go swiftly and greet no one in the way. What he's saying is, don't take the time to have these kind of customary exchanges. You have a mission. And so this is the customary exchange, and it would have taken some while to make inquiries into one another's well being. Moses then tells us that there was a tent. They went into a tent, some particular tent. And they went in there and they had a long conversation in that place. Why do I know it was a long conversation? Because we're told Moses gave a full report to Jethro of all the Lord's doing on the behalf of his people. Moses, listen to this, Moses is bearing witness of the greatness of the Lord, the covenant faithful Lord. He's not just recounting a history for history's sake. And no doubt Jethro would have heard some of the the broader details of what has taken place down in Egypt. But Moses tells it as one who was there firsthand. He could tell him of his own internal struggles and how he grew in faith. How he began, you know, as a stammerer and stutterer and uncertain. And how he grew as God worked in him to boldness to even deal face to face with Pharaoh. Moses recounted the whole matter and gave a full report to his father-in-law. Before we go to our second point, just some application here. In our modern age, uh, we can learn much from this text. I've already indicated learning respect for others, especially our elders, those that are over us. Children, uh, you're growing up in a culture where uh, children are trained even to be indifferent and flippant disrespectful to their parents. It makes me cringe, I kid you not, when I hear a child call their parent by their first name. It's your mother or your father, and you show such respect. Um, nobody isn't being indicted here, but when I first came, there were children who just referred to me as Daniel. I said, no, I am Pastor Daniel to you. You owe me Respect, because of the office that I hold. We don't live in a day like that. Everybody's so flippant and casual, and this that we see here in the text is worthy of taking notice of. This over-familiarity of our day should be addressed. The fifth commandment has a meaning, and we need to carry it out, and that begins at a young age, children, showing respect to your mother, And your father, believe you me, little ones, I can remember even all these years later times when I showed disrespect to my mother or father and swiftly was compensated (laughs) with discipline for that. And I learned to show respect because that's what God requires. Scripture says to show respect to those to whom it is due. Do you show respect? and honor to those to whom it is due. Children, let me just mess with your parents a little bit with further application. Paul tells us that we're to honor the magistrate because he's the Lord's servant. We owe respect and honor to the magistrates as well. We lose sight of that. I'm speaking to myself as well. Well, secondly, then, we want to consider Moses bearing witness of God's power to save. We find this in verses 8 through 10. And Moses told his father in law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And he didn't stop there, and all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Think about all that we've covered all that the Lord has done. This this took some time. Moses recounts his return to Egypt, how he was received first by the Hebrews, the elders of his own people, then how he was received by Pharaoh. Moses uh, would have recounted the plagues that took place and the great display of God's power to Egypt. Um, I imagine he would have spoken of the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh and, and how Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Moses gave a full accounting in what he told to his father-in-law. Then he would have told how the Lord brought Egypt great, very low. He greatly humbled them. He destroyed their land. We remember earlier on that even some of Pharaoh's own officials said to him, You know, how much more of this are you going to do? I mean, look at the land, it's destroyed. Moses would have recounted these things. Moses could have reported the Lord's instructions concerning the Passover lamb. and indeed, I imagine that he did. He reported all, and how that would have been instructive of the shedding of the blood and placing it on the doorpost and the lentil before the death angel came throughout the land, and, and the Lord struck the firstborn male of all the houses of Egypt, including pharaohs. Moses would have described how eager the Egyptians were, for Israel to leave. They were told to ask for things of value, and the Egyptians, here, take it, and they carried away the wealth of Egypt. Moses would have spoken of the parting of the waters at the sea and how Israel crossed on dry land, and then as Pharaoh, in his arrogance, his persistent arrogance, followed through on the land, and then the Lord brought the waters down on Pharaoh's army and destroyed the armies of Egypt. We should not doubt but that the facts would have been a powerful and overwhelming testimony to Jethro. Unlike anything Jethro, a priest of Midian, had ever seen, uh, this false god of the Midianites that he worshipped had never done anything like this because, as Psalm 115 reminds us, the, the gods of the people, they have mouths but they don't speak. They have ears but they don't hear. They have hands but they do not move. They have legs, they're, they're, because they're dead. And you can imagine how Jethro hearing of the God of Israel doing these mighty acts, realizing the God he served is nothing like the God of the Israelites. And then Moses would have recounted the daily provision of the bread. I imagine this is recounting, the people he would have talked to the people complaining and, how they longed for the flesh pots in Egypt and you know, their leeks and so forth. He would have counted the whole thing to him, And yet how the Lord was merciful. I'm certain that Moses would have recounted the mercy of God to his people as he recounted these things to Jethro. He would have told how they encountered bitter water and the Lord made it sweet. How when in another place there was no water and God instructed him to strike a rock and a river flowed forth and continued to do so, even a river nearby that he could have shown him. And finally, how God delivered a bunch of former slaves with no training in warfare. God delivered them from the Amalekites as long as Moses was praying to the Lord with his hands uplifted. There's nothing in the text, and I don't imagine at all i'm certain that moses in telling this takes no credit for himself I know that because later God says of Moses there was no more humble man on the face of the earth. So Moses is bearing witness of the great things that God had done. I can imagine Moses recounting how sometimes in the midst of it his own doubts, his struggle, how he had little faith and yet the Lord was faithful to him. He gave an account, a witness, an honest account and a witness to his father-in-law of all that the Lord had done. And what was Jethro's response to this testimony? Look at verse 9. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the land of the Egyptians. This word that's translated rejoice, some translations say delight. The root word comes from the Hebrew word to tremble or to shudder. He was deeply moved joy, trembling at the hearing of this mighty God, the God of the Hebrews, a God unlike any other God he had ever heard of, certainly a God completely unlike the God that he had served as a priest of Midian. And Moses' next response, I'm sorry, Jethro's next response was to worship the Lord. Look at verse 10. And Jethro said, blessed be the covenant faithful Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of the Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He has heard this faithful testimony, and he worships the Lord God. This is Jethro's response. What is his response? It's a doxology. How many times do we find in Moses' letter, I'm sorry, in Paul's letters, where he comes to the work of Christ, and Christ's work at the cross, his salvation that he has secured in his own flesh, and, and he's writing about it, he's instructing about it, and then Paul just erupts in doxology. As he's so overwhelmed with joy, this is something as Jethro is hearing of the mighty works of God, the great display of the majesty of God. Unlike any other, there is no other God besides him. And he just breaks forth into doxology. Let us notice that this priest of Midian has long served a false god, and now he invokes the name of the one true and living covenant faithful God. Jethro repeats his cause for praise and celebration twice. Do you notice that? It's it's sort of like the Psalms. There's a parallelism. You you, you state what you say, and then you change a little bit, and you say it again. Jethro, bless the Lord who had delivered... uh, He says, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He's so moved by it, he states it twice. Same message in a different way. I think of every one of us here this morning who've been delivered out from the bondage of sin. I think of every one of us here has had the experience of the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts when we were dead in our trespasses far from God no life within us and God has come and rescued us he has delivered us from our greatest foe, sin, death and the grave he set us free from a cruel taskmaster, Satan in his kingdom of darkness that's a much greater deliverance than what Moses has just recounted to Jethro. The Exodus, these events, they're foreshadowing. They're a picture. They're pointing to what we have experienced because of the completed work of Christ. Christ accomplished at the cross when he was crucified, died. He bled for our sake. He shed his blood for the remission of our sins so that our guilt could be removed. The stain of sin could be taken away from us. He paid the penalty and satisfied God's wrath and established righteousness for his people so that God was just to take the heart of stone out of us and by his spirit give us a heart of flesh. Is this not cause for great rejoicing? Have you experienced this? Can you be silent about it? I'm thinking about family reunions. Can we not bear witness to the greatest thing that has happened to us? That's what Moses did at this family reunion. I think one of the main reasons we are slow to testify of the gospel with families is because we have not been overwhelmed with the majesty of God's salvation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why we need to be here week by week. It's why the preaching of this pulpit needs to point us to Christ week by week. It's why we need to pray for the preaching of this pulpit, that you pray for the pastor during the course of the week, that the Lord would... Open my eyes and give me understanding to proclaim Christ that we would be brought again and again and again to our knees before God at the great and the glorious thing he has done for us. How he has saved us to the uttermost. He has saved us from the worst of all possible places and positions. I'm sure it's a terrible thing to be a slave to someone. How much more so to a cruel slave master? But there is no greater deliverance than what Christ has accomplished for his people. Shout it from the mountaintops. Rejoice with great joy. Tell it to those in your family who are still bound in that darkness, that they would be set free the glory of God. And, and look how the Lord blesses Jethro. He breaks forth in doxology, as the word I said. And, you know he, he shudders at the majesty of this God who has accomplished such things of which he has never heard about before. Who is a God like unto the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel? It's one of the benefits of hearing the law. It reminds us of how guilty we are. But it's also important for us to remember that because of his lawbreakers, apart from Christ, we are condemned to hell for all eternity. I think it's remarkable that Jesus speaks more of hell than he does of heaven. And it's against the backdrop of of the justice and the wrath of God and our just deserving of it that the gospel becomes more glorious. Oh, that we would be filled with joy unspeakable, overflowing because of what God has accomplished for us. Has God, by his grace, set you free? How can you keep that as a secret? And all around you, there are those that are perishing. I'm speaking to myself, too. We all have family members that are perishing. We say we love our families that are dead in sin. Let us learn to be like Moses when we gather for a family reunion. Let our hearts overflow with the goodness of what God has done for us. What are we doing? You're not preaching. You're telling the good news. You're bearing witness. You sit with a sibling and say, let me tell you the glorious thing God has done for me. Let me tell you a lesson I've just learned in the last week or last month, the things the Lord has taught me over this last year, since we've been together last time. Let me tell you the great things that God has shown me, how he's opened my eyes, the things he's changed in my heart, the power of his spirit to work in me. Tell them. It's your testimony. It's your witness no one can refute it. Fill it with scripture. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Tell those whom you love at these family reunions. This is a glorious example of what can happen when we are faithful to bear witness to what God has done. Well, we move thirdly then to Jethro's confession of faith in verse 11. Moses' testimony bore fruit in Jethro's heart, not because Moses was a highly trained motivational speaker. Remember the bush? He said, no, Lord, send somebody else. I'm I'm a stutterer. I I don't communicate well. And he may still have that problem. He, He may still be very ineloquent with his words. That's what Paul says about himself. And yet the Lord used the testimony. Jethro was transformed by the powerful work of God. The Holy Spirit Spirit took the work, work of God through the mouth of Moses. This testimony of Moses and the Spirit made the effectual call in Jethro's heart. He took the heart of stone out and replaced it with a heart of flesh. Look at verse 11. Jethro says, Now I know. That is to say, I didn't know this before. Now I know that the Lord, that is the covenant faithful God of Israel, is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing in which they have behaved proudly, he was above them. That's a little bit of a convoluted statement. but let me, It's easy to unpack. What he's celebrating... He's talking about the Egyptians. In the very thing which they behave with their arrogance, particularly of Pharaoh, remember how audacious Pharaoh was, maintaining, I'm the only sovereign. I'll take on this so-called God of the Hebrews. And as Moses has recounted it, Jethro comes to understand, for in the very thing which they behave proudly, he, that is the Lord, was above them. He got it. He understood it, and he blesses God for it, and he understands, therefore, that Jehovah, the Lord, is greater than all other gods. No other God is like unto this God, and that is our God. We need not fear man or what man may do to us. Let this be our testimony. Let us give glory to God. Salvation is of the Lord. The Spirit alone can change the sinner's heart. God has called us to just, Just be instruments in his hands. Be available. It's one of the messages of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes that God can take a crooked stick and strike a straight blow every time, and we're just crooked sticks. Our words, yeah, we, we stutter and stammer, but when we bear witness to the greatness of God, God uses our testimony for his glory. Never lose sight of this truth. Salvation is of the Lord. Be available. Be ready to testify of what God has done for you. It's your story. By God's grace, it's his story in your life. And no one can refute what you've experienced. Do you believe that your salvation was secured at the cross by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that God is able to set others free? Do you believe that God still has the power of salvation? Do you believe that he could save your mother-in-law, father-in-law, sister, brother, niece, nephew? Do you believe that God has that power? Then let us be like Paul, that our testimony would be that we would seek to know nothing more or less than Jesus Christ and him crucified. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Finally, we see in this text, worship and fellowship before the Lord. And it just seems natural. Jethro's been converted. What what does he want to do? He wants to worship the Lord. And so we're told in verse 12, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. Well, the burnt offering has been something that was done by the patriarchs. Jethro didn't just make this up. Um, Abraham offered up burnt offerings. And so this has been passed down. Remember, there's this family connection pretty much by all these people groups back to Abraham and certainly back to uh, Abel and Seth. These things are passed on. And so what he does is he offers up a whole burnt offering. That's the word that's used here. It's an expression of his joy and thankfulness to offer up this burnt offering. It's the type of offering that Noah offered when he came off the ark once the waters had receded. It's the same offering that will later be offered in the morning and evening sacrifice in the tabernacle when it's built and eventually in the temple. These other sacrifices that are mentioned, uh, the the way they're referred to, it's more akin to the peace offerings that we will find out in the offering sacrificial system that part of the animal was offered up on the altar and the other was eaten by the worshipers together, families eating together in the presence of God, having been received by God. It's akin to a fellowship meal. We're going to have a fellowship meal today. Why do we... A people scattered across southern Rhode Island. Why do we come together and eat a meal and fellowship together? It's because we have a common hope and a common Lord. We have a share of common salvation. And that's what we see happening here. Jethro offers the sacrifices and Moses and Aaron come with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. They, They recognize that God has worked in him. They welcome him into the covenant community. We find out later on that his descendants are known as the Kenites. And there will be an occasion in the book of Judges when a Kenite woman will take a nail and put it through the head of jail because they became believers all the way back at this point. There's another time when they're warned and sent away before Israel goes in to invade a space. All of these things back to this moment. Well, let's conclude. This is a great example for us. Moses and Jethro met for a family reunion, and they spent their time talking about important matters, things of eternal significance. There was no discussion of the condition of the flocks and herds or the weather. Jethro did not come telling Moses the latest gossip that he'd heard from travelers on the routes. No, these two men spent their time talking about the mighty works of God. Let every one of us be challenged that we focus our conversations on the Lord and what he has done for us to stay this week or since we were last time together with our relatives. Let us also learn from Jethro to praise the Lord. Think of the contrast here. Praise the Lord and not spend our time murmuring like the Israelites. That's where they're at still. Jethro's worshiping the living God. God has done great things for us, has he not? Through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have so much cause to celebrate. So let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in the Lord's sight. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do rejoice. The instructions from this passage so long ago, and Lord, we we acknowledge our fearfulness, uh, our, our, our little faith, our weak faith. Lord, we all can remember those times when we were so determined to open our mouth and bear witness, and we went home ashamed of ourselves that we were silent. Father, you've entrusted to us the greatest news ever told. Lord, help us to be like the church when it was persecuted after James was executed and they they fled. They went out across the land, and as they went, they went gospelizing. They went telling the Evangelion, the gospel of good news, to any that would listen. Oh, Lord God, may we be like the early church of old. Even they were threatened with persecution and death. But Lord, we are not at least not yet, but Lord, let us be bold, bold witnesses. We have the treasure of the living God in earthen vessels. Let us testify of your majesty and trust you to work when and where you will. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing about this bond we have in Christ, Psalm 133a.